Hey, everybody. Mike Griffith here. Welcome to tonight's Ingles on the Beat segment. Can't wait to tell you about this Georgia-Arkansas game next Saturday. It's another top 10 matchup, and it's in Sanford Stadium between the hedges, and ESPN College Game Day is going to be here. I can't imagine a better start to the season for Georgia, but also, how about them Razorbacks? How about Sam Pittman and the Arkansas Razorbacks? And to join me to tell us all that we would want to know about Arkansas, my good friend, longtime SEC beat writer, Tom Murphy. Tom, thank you so much for joining me. Tom is a writer with the uh, Arkansas Democrat Gazette. He's a veteran. He's covered Alabama. He's been around for a long time. And there's nobody that knows more about Arkansas than Tom Murphy on this beat. And I guess I'll just start out, Tom. We know Sam Pittman as an assistant coach. And what I've noticed from Kirby is the guys that knew Kirby as an assistant at Alabama think he's a lot nicer and a lot cooler than the guys that have to cover him. So we all know Sam is this gregarious, wonderful, wants to hug you and give you cookies and milk. What's he been like there in Arkansas? Surely he's, he's working his way into folk hero status, isn't he? Yeah, I would say that uh, right now he is a huge folk hero around here. He just, he just Sam, he's just Sam. You know, he he would come in uh, as an assistant coach here t on the days we requested him, and he'd sit in the media room and he'd take his shoes off, and he'd sit there and he'd answer your questions honestly, and he'd take his time. He's a slow talker, and he none none of this has changed him. When they got ranked after beating Texas, he said like, "We're yeah, okay, we're number twenty. We should be ranked. We're Arkansas." He actually says, we're damn Arkansas. He does. And now they're number eight. And he said, hey, yay, we're number eight. Uh, it doesn't change anything about what we do. So this was a completely and wholly unexpected top ten matchup based on where these programs were to start the season. But their their wins over both Texas and A&M were not flukes. How can we explain this, Tom? I, I look to the north of me and I see Tennessee with all these resources, all this money, all this recent history, they're even closer to the great recruiting bases. And Sam's gone in there in two years, $3 million a year coach. He just undressed a $9 million coach who may, who has every resource available at a and I mean, how can this be happening? What is, what's the magic? How are the hogs doing it? You know, there's a number of factors at play. I'll touch a few on a few of them briefly. The first one was the concept that he believed in the players and they could go win games. And it's a lot of the same talent that was on an 0 for 8 SEC team two years ago. They have a ton of super seniors back. I think you wanted to talk about that here in a minute. But they've got a ton of super seniors and a ton of seniors. And Kirby Smart said at SEC Media Days, watch out for them. When you have a bunch of seniors back like that, it's a good, uh, it's a good facet for winning. And that's what they're doing. The offense has come together. Uh, K.J. Jefferson has been pretty much all they expected and maybe more. Their grad transfers on the D-line have all produced. Trey Williams had a massive game against Texas A&M at defensive end. And uh, it, it's just the, the belief that they can win, and they're a tougher team. They got bigger over the offseason, so they can hang in the trenches more, and they hit you hard. Their, their linebackers are really hard tacklers, and they got a great safety named Jalen Catalan who, who attacks. And um, Traylon Burks, who got off to a slow start, his last two games have been, have been super back-to-back hundred-yard games, and they just have some weapons, and they're, they're kind of maximizing what their talent is. 
Yeah, that's great. Whenever you see the sum of all the parts and they perform better, this this synergy is what we're seeing out of the Razorbacks where everybody, as you said, the buy-in level, you know, watching your question, I think you might have asked uh, Grant Morgan about it. And he said, there's not one guy that regrets coming back. It just, and, and you, you're there, Tom. I mean, what is that like for the state of Arkansas, for Arkansas football to be good again? Because it had reached depths where you just wondered, could they ever get back from how far down they fell with, with Chad Morris? Yeah, great question. They were truly in a wilderness. You know, look, Brett Bielema brought some respectability, and the 2015 team um, was 8-5, and uh, five, but really should have won a couple more games. They let a couple get away. So they, they probably should have had a 10-win season, but they, they were down from that point. Obviously, a back-to-back 0-8s under Chad Morris, and – Sam, it was immediate. I mean, Georgia was the opener last year for these guys, and they were ahead seven to five at halftime against a team with a lot more talent. And so uh, the belief came from day one with these guys, and they're continuing to recruit well on the fronts. And like I said, that they don't have a ton of depth on, on the skill talent positions, but you know, they're, they're getting it done there. And a guy like, like Tyson Morris, another super senior has had big catches for them. And uh, it's just really amazing. But when you believe you can go win a game, that's why they showed up against Texas A&M and really took control from the beginning. They were ahead 17 to nothing and, you know, could have, could have maximized a little bit more, but other than a 67 yard breakaway touchdown for Isaiah Spiller, they pretty much held the Aggies down. Isn't that amazing? I, and I want to go back even one game further, if we could, the Texas game. I think that's when we all kind of looked and said, whoa, wait a minute, you know, because Steve Sarkeesian was supposed to be this genius coach. And I don't know where Georgia was playing that day, but my focus was on the Bulldogs. And I looked up and saw that score. I said, what in the world? So what in the world did happen? Because the world expected the Longhorns to beat Arkansas and, and win the Big 12, I think. Right. I'm getting a real kick out of some of these tweets over here. I can see to the right just filing by. These fans, they're crazy fans, just like Alabama, Arkansas, everywhere. Crazy fans. Anyway, the Texas game, Arkansas played a four-man defensive front in the opener against Rice. They didn't have a particularly good game. A&M, they ran a three-man front. And this is what Barry Odom's, like, specialty is. He keeps you guessing on how you got to block, what the quarterback anticipates, how he calls the protections and just how you, how you're going to slot your run game. And they threw Texas A&M off. They were shooting, they were shooting their three technique through and their backside offensive tackle could not reach him. And they were in the backfield all game and it stretched out their run plays and it affected B. John Robinson. By the way, Texas's last two games, they have smoked two people. They scored 70 against TCU last week. I mean, I'm sorry, against Texas tech last week. And I don't know how many against Rice, but they are a good program. Arkansas just threw them off balance uh, with what they did defensively, and they scored 40 points, and that was settling for three very short field goals. They could have scored 50-plus in that game easily. It's amazing, you know, and, and Kirby talks so much about Barry Odom. He is a huge, huge Barry Odom fan. Obviously, defensive coaches a preach. He hadn't said anything about Kendall Browse yet, but Kendall Browse is a great offensive mind. I mean, look at where he's been. He was part of a, a dynamic Baylor offense, and then he went and, and helped carry Lane Kiffin down there in South Florida. This is a great – I got to think Kendall Browse 
is a name that's got to be brewing in the head coaching chambers right now as a, a, a potential. What is he doing? How is Arkansas doing this? And from what I understand, they did return their entire offensive line. Is that correct? Yeah, all five starters are back, and one of them's even kind of been supplanted. So uh, that's, a, that's a great way to start. It's part of the super seniors. Myron Cunningham, Ty Clary, both super seniors on the front. It's a quarterback-driven offense, and Sam Pittman said it today. If the quarterback makes the right reads and he gets protections, we will move the ball. And that, that is what has happened. Uh, we all thought around here that there was no way K.J. Jefferson would come in and be as accurate a deep passer as Felipe Franks was because Franks was like top five in the country with the deep ball last year. Well, K.J. is challenging that. In fact, he's averaging 18.4 yards per completion. That's tops in the country. It's helped by the 91-yarder they had against Georgia Southern and the 85-yarder last week. Uh, but, you know, not all his passing is accurate. In the first game against Rice, he had some wild throws, just kind of overhyped. But the deep ball to Traylon Burks was perfect last week. And he just – he's you can just see his confidence is growing. And he's a good runner as well. So it's a – you know, this is going to be a challenging – game for the Razorbacks in a lot of different ways. A, um, what kind of front is Barry Odom going to run? Georgia's got to kind of anticipate that and be ready for anything. It's obviously going to be harder for Arkansas to slow Georgia's run game than it was the Texas A&M run game. But the other side of the ball, what what way can Kendall Bryles scheme up to move it on this just spectacular Georgia defense? That's going to be a, a, a true challenge. You know, Tom, I go back in the memory banks and, and I recall uh, 1999, 98-99 Tennessee-Arkansas game and Tennessee beat them in 98. Arkansas beat them in a noon game in uh, Fayetteville. And the way they did it makes me think they might do it this way again. I don't, you know, Kendra Browse, I think of a wide open, uh, multi-receiver set spread kind of team. But when I saw Arkansas upset Tennessee and when I've seen Arkansas beat other, they'll max protect. They always seem, I don't know what it is, Arkansas always seems to have these big, long, lanky receivers that can make plays. I, I don't understand it, but they, they just always seem to be there. To me, the formula would be max protect and send out your guys and expose those corners. But, again, I, I don't know if they've done any of that, but clearly the deep ball is something Arkansas is good at, and it's an area where Georgia has proven susceptible against South Carolina. Four catches over 35 yards against the Gamecocks. They will try that. I mean, obviously, they'll see every piece of tape, and they know they trust K.J. and Traylon Burks to go up and get 50-50 balls and Tyson Morris as well. Um, it's got to be a part of what they do because I think the long, you know, lengthy nine, ten play drives where you got to convert in third, third downs and get four or five first downs to get into scoring range, that might not be easy to pull off. So, um whether or not they can they can do that, I, I don't know if they'll max protect. K.J. Jefferson took a huge shot on the 85-yard touchdown. He just stayed in the pocket and trusted his line. So, um, you know, Georgia is going to dial up stuff that Arkansas is going to have to deal with. And, um, you know, K.J. is still only about six, seven games into his starting career and obviously only four this year. So, There'll be some things he's going to have to work through. Georgia Southern actually had some concepts that confused him in the second quarter of that game. 
Interesting. So I saw where Arkansas had all of their passing yards except for 17 in the second half. Do we think KJ's 100% and ready to go? He was at practice today. He's got a little brace on the knee. Um, he got shoved out of bounds on the first play of the second half and landed right on top of his knee. So I don't think it's, you know, any ligament stuff or anything. I think there's a bruise. But uh, he limped around when he uh, on the next possession, and Malik Hornsby was in for three possessions, and uh, ball security was a little questionable, a little little shaky during those three possessions. But he did lead a key field goal drive that put him up from 17-10 to 20 to 10. That was huge. And then KJ Jefferson came back in for the final two drives. Had a great back shoulder throw during that 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 moved the chains, and then. Um, they, they kept the ball till the end of the game to victory formation. So, you know, he might be a little bit gimpy. I don't know how much they'll run him. They might try to protect him a little bit. And, and that's a big deal. You know, the QB run game has got to be, I think, efficient or at least a threat for Arkansas's offense to be all it can be. I was going to ask you, is that the key to the game time? I know we've only got a minute left. When you think about the key for an Arkansas upset, where would you put that at? Yeah, they've got to protect well. They, they've got it. They can't let Jefferson get hit repeatedly. And they might have to limit his runs. So I would say having some type of success on the deep balls and just being able to, to establish a little bit of run game would be very critical for the Razorbacks. Outstanding. Tom Murphy, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, writer with the Arkansas Democrat Gazette. Tom's the guy you're going to want to follow all week. Tom, where can they find you on Twitter? Uh, I believe it's Tom Murphy ADG. You should be able to find it there. And uh, I really enjoyed it, Mike. I'm looking forward to a great game between the hedges on Saturday. Me too. Thanks so much, Tom Murphy. Now I want to take a moment to uh, appreciate and recognize our sponsor, Ingles. You talk about delivering and being there every week. Ingles has done that for us throughout this entire pandemic. Even now, uh, Ingles continues to deliver a brand that we can count on. Your local supermarket, Ingles. It's in our hearts to feel full. There's been ups and downs, turnarounds, good days and some bad. But we stand together for worse and for better. We'll always have your back. With open arms, heart to heart, hand in hand. Community strong. Well, welcome back to the program. And uh, let's get into some Georgia news now. I was at the Georgia press conference today and had a chance to talk to Kirby Smart about the Bulldogs. The big news today from an injury perspective, Darnell Washington and Tyke Smith are back. And Kirby says they're full go. They're going to go through all the drills. They went through some drills last week. He kept them in Athens, did not travel them so that they could work out Friday and Saturday. Kirby really wants these guys ready to go. Now, will they be ready to go enough to be on the 70-man travel squad for Auburn? Time will tell. How much of an impact could they have against Arkansas? I think somewhat limited, but not because I don't think these kids have worked hard, but the players that are playing ahead of them are doing well. You know, a lot of people think that when Darnell comes back, that could affect Brock Bowers. I don't think it affects him too much, though, and here's why. Because Brock Bowers is the move tight end. He's always in motion, right? You saw how they did hand it off to him. Todd Munkin told us before the season they might hand off to Brock Bowers. True to his word, he did, and he scored a touchdown. But I don't see Darnell doing that. Darnell's a different type of tight end. Really look at Brock Bowers as more of an H-back. 
I know we call him a tight end, but he's really not in the traditional sense of the world. He can do some tight end things, but you're mostly looking at John Fitzpatrick, the big 6'7", 250 guy. Now, what I think is when Darnell gets some reps, he'll go in where we've seen Fitzpatrick, and Fitzpatrick knows both positions. So Fitzpatrick might spell Bowers a little bit, but Brock is too much of a weapon. You saw he was named the freshman of the week, just off to an outstanding start. I believe he's in the top 10 in the SEC in receptions. And Kirby said that a lot of his success has to do with opportunity, but a lot of it also has to do with the way Brock Bowers came in and has been ready to go. Now, Latavius Brini has been playing the star over there on defense, and Tyke was signed to play. Uh, honorable mention, All-American from West Virginia. Look, he is an NFL type of player. But how quickly does he overtake Brini? How do they split the reps? We know this. Georgia likes to share reps on defense anyway. Now, the last game, 24 different guys got to tackle. I don't think you're going to see that this week. But Georgia will play a lot of different players. They really like to keep that secondary fresh. And this was big because of the numbers over there. So I think you'll see Tyke and Darnell get snaps. But I don't think we're going to see a completely different lineup. Another note, Kirby said Dominic Blaylock still nursing the hamstring. Arian Smith dealing with a shin contusion. He didn't even travel Arian, the trackster, uh, to Vanderbilt. I don't know when, if, how Arian or Blaylock get back, but I can tell you this, they're going to have a hard time getting snaps back from Mr. Lad McConkey. You talk about a fine young lad. McConkey is so impressive to me. And who would have thought when they signed him that little undersized three-star player from North Murray, Georgia, up there in Chatsworth, and everybody said project. But I knew what Kirby was thinking. This is a high aptitude achiever. And when you've got someone that works like Lad McConkie, somebody that checks all the boxes. I mean, this is a kid in high school that was the the quarterback, the running back, the receiver, the return guy, the punter. He played safety on defense. He was a point guard. I mean, we're talking about one of those athletes, and we've all known him. We, there's one in every school, and how many of them can actually make the jump to D1 ball when they're smaller? Well, Lad McConkey is that special guy, I'm going to tell you. As Kirby said, he came to Georgia with enough credits to be a sophomore. So this is a guy who academically has it together. This is a guy who just in general – is an achiever. When those young people realize their why and understand how to achieve in an early age, they do Lad McConkey things. The catch he made where he skied high at Vandy, and I know you saw that picture on Dog Nation, remarkable. Did you know Lad McConkey's 24-yard run is the longest run by any Georgia player this year? And now we see Lad back returning punts. He's also the missile on punt coverage. He'll go down there and make the tackle. This is a guy who's all over the field. This is a key cog, Lad McConkey. He's not going away. I'm just telling you. So when these receivers come back, they're going to have to fight for playing time because we're going to see Lad McConkey become a fixture at Georgia. This is one of those players who has future team captain written all over him. And I talked with Lad today. He couldn't be more polite and respectful and all in on Georgia. I know that he's going to continue to evolve into even more of a fan favorite. So that's exciting. Kendall Milton didn't get an update on him. Kendall had a shoulder last week. I understand it's a slight sprain. We'll see when, if they get Kendall Milton back. Obviously, Kendall Milton is a guy that you need for that championship drive. I don't think I would put him out there against Arkansas. I don't think it's necessary. 
If I'm Kirby Smart, I want to make sure that Kendall Milton is 100 for the Florida Gators. I think you can win these next three games without Kendall Milton. I think he's a special player, and he needs that shoulder. I covered Jamal Lewis when he hurt his shoulder at Tennessee. Was not the same guy. Kendall is a power guy that likes to lower those pads. Want to see him back 100%. We did report last week, you know, Jalen Kimber is out for the season with a shoulder injury. Uh, Marcus Rosemey, Jack Saint, a sprained ankle. But, hey, Adani Mitchell stepped up in that X role. You're starting to see Adani Mitchell make those plays downfield. So this is going to be a different challenge than Vanderbilt for sure. But I like the way Georgia matches up with Arkansas. You heard what Tom Murphy said about how Arkansas needs to protect K.J. Jefferson, how this is game six or game seven for him. He's never seen a front like this. He saw Georgia last year, right? And while Georgia might say this isn't the same Arkansas, I think we would all agree that this isn't the same Georgia either, right? So not only is it not the same Arkansas, it's also not the same Georgia. You know, I did a stock report earlier today, and the stock report is one of my favorite uh, features because it gives me an opportunity to talk about the Georgia players that I think whose stock is on the rise and uh, like super soaring. And then I have stock on the rise and then I have stock even. And I think I've told you, I used to have stock down, but I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings now. So we don't have stock down anymore. We just have stock even because I'm trying to be politically correct. Everybody's so sensitive these days, right? So on my stock report, uh, stock soaring, Brock Bowers, we talked about. I mean, he's got 272 yards this year and 18 catches through four games. I don't think anybody had that in the script. I said he would be the second leading receiver, and uh, that may still prove correct. But right now, he's the leading receiver. Scored three touchdowns against Vanderbilt. Remarkable start for Brock Bowers and the Bulldogs. I mean, let's be honest. Kirby could have put 100 on Vanderbilt had he wanted to. And part of me wanted to see him do that. Even more so after the Vanderbilt coach didn't want to give Georgia a whole lot of credit, said that this this isn't about them, this is about us. I mean, listen, coach, Kirby Smart pulled his starting quarterback in the first quarter, and he didn't throw a pass in the fourth quarter. At the very least, Clark Lee should have given Kirby Smart some praise and thanks for the consideration that Kirby did. I mean, Kirby slammed the brakes on this team. It could have easily scored 100 points. Lad McConkey, I spoke a lot about him. He's also on my stock soaring. JT Daniels, I mean, I, he was darn near perfect. Nine of 10 passing, and the one he didn't complete was a Justin Robinson drop. But nine of 10, 131 yards, two touchdowns. Uh, JT looked so good. Uh, unbelievable. Uh, just as crisp as this Georgia offense has ever looked, ever looked. As crisp as this Georgia offense has ever looked in the first quarter. Jalen Carter, we saw Jordan Davis limited to nine snaps. Again, Kirby protecting his roster, recognizing it's a long season. You can't win a national championship in September, but you can lose one. Kirby making sure that that Jordan uh, stays safe and secure, only nine snaps. So Jalen Carter got extensive time. And boy, number 88 was just living in the backfield. Just an absolute dominator. The stats don't really show how much of a disruptor he was. Three tackles, including a tackle for loss and a QB hurry. But Jalen Carter was making life impossible for the Vanderbilt quarterback. Kamari Lassiter, how exciting was it to see this true freshman get his first career interception? This is a guy, remember now, Kirby Smart told us that this was the surprise of fall camp. 
and the star of fall camp. And when Kirby talks up freshmen, that, that tells you something. Kirby was telling us about Brock Bowers a lot in the spring. Now he's telling us about Kamari Lasseter. And Georgia needs cornerbacks to evolve. So far, a lot of the ills of this team in the secondary have been hidden by that front seven. People get defensive and angry when I tell them that Keely Ringo's got a long way to go. He really does. There hasn't been a team yet that's been able to protect well enough to exploit him. But you saw against Clemson the two-pass interference. That's times he was flagrantly beat. You saw the video that Kirby Smart put out, Lad McConkey beating. Look, cornerbacks get beat. It's a part of playing the position. But the perception of where Keeley was as a recruit and where he is right now, there's a great difference. This is a young man who's learning and getting better every game. But don't try to put him in the same breath with a Stingley or an Elias Ricks. He's not there. Okay, It's going to be important that Keeley continues to grow and improve. Amir Speed also at that position. A lot of competition, and now Kamari Lasseter. And I think DK, Darian Kendrick, uh, has been a very good pickup from Clemson. He's been beat, too. Again, it's going to happen when you play man. But that other corner spot, when we're talking about where Georgia needs to be by the end of the year, when they face Alabama in the SEC championship game, a team that can protect long enough, these corners are going to have to grow up. Stock up, Jack Podlesny. How about that? Jack had field goals of 31 and 36 yards, made all eight extra point kicks. It was good to see Jack get going again. Uh, obviously, the miss against Clemson and the miss in the second game. When your kicker gets on a roll like this, this is good. This is what Georgia wanted. This is what was the anticipation. Christopher Smith, interception number two. Good to see that Christopher is back there ball hawking and playing well, trying to play his way into the NFL, kind of a borderline NFL draft pick. Christopher needs a big senior season. So far, he's getting it. Dejon Edwards, we don't have an opportunity to recognize Dejon often. Came in there in the fourth quarter, uh, broke the 15-yard run. That was longer than any other run from a running back in the game. And then to see Edwards hustling down on the kickoff team, scooping up that fumble and returning it 16 yards to the four to set up that touchdown. Got to like that. And then the team defense. I said 24 players made tackles. I lied. It was 25 different players. Stock even. <clears throat> Stetson Bennett. Now, Stetson was 11 of 15 for 151 yards with a touchdown. But this is the second game in a row that on his first drive, he threw an interception. That's not going to cut it. He's a veteran quarterback, and that doesn't need to happen now. So, so I'm sure Stetson's working on it as hard as anybody. Uh, Kirby likes the dimension that Stetson brings as a runner. It's one more thing that the opposing defense has to prepare for. Keep that in mind. Carson Beck really didn't get much of a chance. As I said, Georgia chose not to throw the ball in the fourth quarter. Carson only one of three for 11 yards. But the thing that bothered me was that hard count inside the 10. Georgia had three motion penalties in a row. After the second one, he started going, that's, that's not on the lineman. There's something going on with the hard count. I put that on back when he's out there. That's his team. He's the manager. This is part of taking over as a quarterback. So I put the, the hard count motion penalties on Carson back. I think we'll see Carson have a rapid level of improvement the more that he plays. And then the short yardage runs, right? It, it's kind of hard to poke holes in a 62-0 to zero win. But it was disappointing to see Georgia stopped on a third and one and a fourth and one at the Commodore's three-yard line. I mean, that's Vanderbilt over there. You know, to me, now you can say it was Georgia's second or third team guys. I don't care if it was the fourth or the fifth. That's a yard you've got to pick up. 
And so to see James White get stopped, as excuse me, James Cook get stopped, as well as Kenny McIntosh, that was disappointing to me. I wouldn't say cause for alarm, but it's something to circle. I did ask Kirby about it again today. He mentioned the lack of size. There isn't a Solomon Kinley out there. There is not an Andrew Thomas. There is not a Ben Cleveland. There are some very athletic guys, though. And what those athletic guys enable you to do that Georgia hasn't done in past years is have an effective screen game. We haven't really seen much of a screen game yet. Screen game yet. I'd like to see that. But right now it looks like teams are playing coverage on JT. They're not bringing pressure quite as much. It'll be interesting to see what Barry Odom does. But that light offensive line gives you the ability to be more effective with your perimeter runs and with your screen game as well. So these are some areas that Todd Munkin can exploit. But the short yardage game in the meantime kind of uh, falls off a little bit. I want to take a look at some of your questions before I go here tonight. Uh, if you've got some questions for me, now is a good time to ask them. Where uh, You're listening to the Ingles on the Beach Show, watching the Ingles on the Beach Show Monday night. I uh, hope you are enjoying the program. It's an exciting week to see game day back in Athens, as I've said. There's nothing like a game on campus. Uh, which angle part of the game most looking forward to seeing progress? Andy Holmes wants to know. Where do I want to see the progress on Saturday? Um, I want to see the uh, receiving core continue to evolve. I was really excited by what I saw from McConkie and what I saw from Brock Bowers. Uh, Jermaine Burton made some plays, Adani Mitchell. I think there's going to be some big plays available after the catch. So I want to see if these Georgia receivers can continue to make those yards after the catch. I expect the running games to be involved in the passing game as well. Excuse me, the running backs to be involved in the passing game as well. So what I want to see is yards after the catch. You guys are asking for a prediction. Uh, it's kind of early in the week for me to put out the prediction. I'll probably wait till a little later. I do like Georgia to win this game. Uh, and, and that 18-point spread is somewhere in the neighborhood uh, of what I see. I, I do think Georgia is prepared to play a team like this. I know that Arkansas is all in. I know that Arkansas will be a challenge defensively. I just have so much trust for JT Daniels to make the right decisions. You know, and I think that's fantastic. I see that uh, Stephen Brock wants to know uh, what needs to be done so that these long runs can continue. Ladd had a 24-yarder. You know, they need the running backs to make these runs. Kirby talked about the size of the line. He talked about displacing people. What he didn't talk about was the rotation. And to me, that's the elephant in the room. None of these running backs are able to get into a rhythm. I said in the spring that it wasn't a good thing that both Zamir and Cook decided to come back. I said, listen, that's too many. That's too many mouths to feed. You're going to have some inefficiency. Really thought Zamir or Cook should have left, you know, if not to the pros, you know, somewhere where they could have gotten 18 to 25 carries a game because both of them are auditioning for the NFL. I don't think anybody really has looked dynamic out of the backfield this year. And some of that's on the offensive line, but I don't see a lot of tackles being broken at the second level. I don't see backs getting into a rhythm and getting a feel for the game like you used to see out of a Nick Chubb. And uh, the fact that you're resting Milton right now, shrinking that rotation down to three, I, I, I still don't think that's optimal. So uh, that's a tough situation for Del McGee uh, to manage. I do agree with, uh, with, with what Harry Leggy is saying, that with Darnell Washington back, that will help the run game. I think it will help the run game some, but I think the bigger problem 
is that running backs need to get in there for two or three series and get a feel for the game. That's my opinion. Uh, how healthy is Will Poole? This will be his first game back. I think we'll see him, uh, William Poole, at safety. But again, Tyke Smith's healthy now. Latavius Brini's balling out. Christopher Smith, uh, Lewis Seen. It depends on the score, but I do think we're going to see that. Uh, what's the stock report on the coaches? They want to know. Uh, Maurice Farmer wants to know. Listen, Kirby Smart has put together an unbelievable team this year. This is a team that could win the national championship. We still have to see who stays healthy, who gets the breaks, who gets hot. Listen, all you Georgia fans, you've been around this program a long time. You know how things can change. In 2018, Georgia was the best team in the country in November. In 2017, they were the best team in the country throughout most of the season. A lot of it is just surviving the season, protecting your key players from injury, and then getting hot late. We saw that from a Clemson, Trevor Lawrence's freshman year. I still say if they'd have played Alabama in September that year, Bama would have beat them by three touchdowns. But by the end of the year, Tua's not Tua, and Trevor Lawrence is balling out. So things change. Programs evolve. What I like about this Georgia team is Darnell and Tyke. You know, they've missed a third of the regular season, but they're coming on now. They're going to get plugged in and healthy. Maybe George Pickens does the same thing for the Florida game. I know that's the target. You know, how effective will George be? I don't know. But certainly any team with George Pickens on the field is better than one without him. Will Don Blaylock get it together? I know he's had this hamstring. That is such a difficult injury for a dynamic position player. If anyone has pulled their hamstring, they know the pain of that. And, and it scares you because when that thing's popped once, you know, you don't quite have the same confidence in that burst, especially for a young person that's had two knee injuries. You know, if you're Don Blaylock, you went from feeling like Superman three years ago to realizing just how mortal you are. And you have to wonder where he's at with the mental aspect of that recovery. That's always one of the keys. Uh, I see a lot of fans encouraging a loud crowd. Kirby Smart again today brought that up. You can tell that Kirby is concerned about the early kickoff. He needs Sanford Stadium to respond like they did against Notre Dame in 2019. Listen, if that game in 2019 was at a neutral site, Notre Dame would have beaten Georgia. But instead, the Georgia crowd came to life. It was the first game with the red LED lighting. The fans went bonkers. There was like six motion penalties on Notre Dame. It slowed them down just enough, kept the Irish off their game. And Georgia, can they do that to the Hogs and this young quarterback, K.J. Jefferson? That's going to be very important. That home field advantage needs to kick in. Arkansas played AM at a neutral site. I've been in AT&T Stadium. It, it's pretty cavernous. And even with a the crowd there, it's, a, it's more of a home. It's nothing like Sanford Stadium when the Georgia fans get into it. So it's going to be really important uh, and really important that the fans have to be elite, as uh, James Brown says here in the chat. And I see that Jeff Boyle backs that up as well. So I think the Georgia fans understand, uh, you know, what needs to happen. I asked Kirby Smart today. My question was, Kirby, uh, your Georgia teams are 11 and 6 against teams ranked in the top 10. How do you explain that you have not allowed the distractions from these big games to slow you down? He said, well, there's no real secret. He said, you just keep the main thing, the main thing. And when Kirby falls back on that, that's one of the very favorite sayings of all the Georgia players. I, I think that's, uh, you know, my recent favorite from Kirby is win, right? 
what's important now. It's kind of like keep the main thing the main thing. I think Georgia can stay focused largely because of the blowout against Vanderbilt. A lot of these guys didn't get to play a lot of reps, so they're jacked up. They're ready to go. They're anxious. They're eager. We're starting to hear a lot of narrative from Alabama fans, uh, Florida fans, that Georgia hasn't played anybody yet because Clemson is fallen. Listen, Clemson lost Brian Breezy, and they've also lost James Skalski. The teams that are going to be playing Clemson aren't going to be playing the same Clemson that Georgia played. You can't say because Clemson's fallen off that they weren't legit. That night in Charlotte, they were legit. That was a great football game. Don't let anybody take that away from you. To win that sort of game is special. I've seen other programs win games like that, and, and they may lose later, and, and it's like the game disappears. Don't let that happen because that's part of what makes college football special are those memories, those rivalry games, those moments. It's not like that in the NFL. It's not like that in other major league sports, but we're not talking about major league sports. We're talking about college football, and there were seven months of buildup for that Clemson game, and that was a very special night for the Georgia Bulldogs. No one should ever be able to take that away from you or Kirby and his staff or the players. We know what we saw. That was a knockdown, dragout, slugfest of a football game. Give Clemson credit and give Georgia credit, okay? Now, you may reflect back and say, well, you know, at that, that night Clemson was every bit of top five team. Do not kid yourselves. And so we're the Georgia Bulldogs. And so they can say that Georgia hasn't played anybody yet. But let me tell you, uh, this Georgia football team is legit, okay? What you're seeing is no illusion. JT Daniels has the acumen of an NFL quarterback. When he goes to the line, he's just dissecting those teams. He's picking them apart. He can make every throw in the book, and he's an outstanding player. So I think you should feel confident there. The run game concerns me. You guys know I've said from the start that I that, did, that, that four backs were too many. Uh, you know, I still think that when completely healthy, Kendall is the best runner. I like McIntosh is the most versatile. Uh, I like Zamir as a blue-collar runner as well. And I like Cook on the routes. But uh, I would really like to see a back get 12 or 15 carries and separate. And we just haven't seen that happen yet. I don't care who it is. Zamir, uh, Cook, Kenny. Kendall, Dejon Edwards, somebody needs to emerge because this is two years in a row now that Georgia has struggled to break long runs. Zamir had that one run against Florida, but anybody that knows anything about Florida knows or anything knows anything about football knows that was more of a formation deal than anything else. Zamir ran away, but there wasn't anybody close. Okay. You know, they need somebody breaking tackles and making moves like DeAndre Swift because the RBU thing's just gone out the window. And Georgia needs to work to get it back. Now, part of this is that you're going pass first, and now you're a passing team in a spread. But there's no reason why this can't, team cannot be dynamic running the ball. I think about Spurrier and the fun and gun in the 90s, and they'd spread the field on you. But they had that Fred Taylor guy back there, and he could run through a lot of defenses. Georgia needs to find that guy. If you're asking me what they need on offense to be a championship unit, it's a dynamic running back. Not a dynamic run game, a dynamic running back. A dynamic running back will make your run game, okay? That's my opinion. Somebody that can make people miss, somebody that can emerge. Need to see that. Defensively, the front seven is lights out. Nobody's got an interior defensive line like Georgia. Nobody's got a front seven like Georgia. The linebackers, Channing Tindell, N'Kobe Dean, 
Quay Walker, these guys just keep coming. They're blowing people up in the open field. The safeties, Seen, Smith, they do a great job. But I'm telling you, those corners are susceptible. Those corners need to get better. Right now, if you're going to beat Georgia, and I guarantee you that Sam Pittman, as we speak, and Kendall Bryles are drawing up some plays to expose those corners. The question is, can the Hogs protect well enough to get to those corners before the front seven gets to their quarterback. Now, remember, this is a mobile quarterback who can run. He will put more stress on the defense. But Georgia's got some pressure packages. It's going to be a whale of a football game. I hope all of you have enjoyed tonight's show. I hope all of you are happy, doing well, enjoying watching Georgia football, number two in the nation. We've got other games Alabama playing Old Miss, the Tide, a 14-and-a-half-point favorite at home. That's going to be an interesting game. Could Old Miss pull the upset? They could. Will they? I'm still doubting it. I'm still doubting it, right? I like what Lane has done with the offense and Matt Corral, um, but I just don't know that they've got enough to go into Bryant-Denny Stadium and take down the number one team in the country in that stadium. Florida plays at Kentucky. I'm going to tell you, I wasn't impressed with Florida Saturday night against Tennessee. I felt Tennessee was able to move the ball on them. I thought Tennessee was able to slow the run game. Watching Tennessee and Florida gave me a lot more confidence in Georgia over Florida. Tennessee had a good scheme. They just didn't have the continuity. And the swamp was a huge factor. They had some motion penalties. Give the Florida fans credit. Uh, They showed up and they really showed out and they really helped the Gators as the Gators pulled away in the second half. I don't know how good I think Kentucky is. I picked South Carolina uh, last week to cover that spread six. Uh, They didn't. They lost by five at home under the lights. South Carolina, I think, is an okay team. I don't think they're a great team. The fact that Kentucky wasn't able to handle them makes me think that Florida is going to win again in Lexington. If I remember correctly, the Kentucky Wildcats have not beaten Florida in Lexington since the 1980s. It's quite a streak going on for the Gators in Lexington. Big game down there in the in, uh, the Bayou. Uh, the LSU Tigers are at home against the Auburn Tigers. I think you remember Auburn put an absolute smackdown on LSU last year. This Auburn team, we've got a lot of questions. We saw Georgia State almost beat Auburn. I think you all saw that Auburn got a fortuitous call there at the end that ex- that helped extend their winning drive. I think this is a game LSU wins. I would say big, except I don't know that LSU really has it together. I love this Max Johnson kid from right here in Oconee County, local kid, Brad Johnson's son, nephew of Mark Rick. Love this guy. But there's so many other questions about LSU right now. They were able to hold on against Mississippi State. I think they beat Auburn, but maybe not as convincingly as, as maybe I would have thought at the beginning of the year, because I think LSU, a team that just doesn't have it all together. You're seeing the importance of that continuity in coaching now. It's not a given. Just because you have talent doesn't mean that you're going to have continuity and good coaching. That's something that Kirby Smart and his staff don't get nearly enough credit for. Between that and developing the three stars, the people, oh, Kirby doesn't develop any. Lad McConkey is a three-star recruit. Jordan Davis was a three-star recruit. Yes, Georgia gets five stars. You have to have five stars to win championships. But the fact that Kirby's been able to develop others, well, I'm not seeing LSU doing that much right now. 
I got questions. So that LSU game, Tennessee plays at Missouri. Uh, if the same Tennessee shows up that showed up at Florida, they'll win. But I don't know what they've got left in the tank after an emotional letdown like that. Now, Missouri at least has the home crowd. You know, Missouri went on the road, lost in overtime to Boston College. But at least Missouri has the home crowd. That's a boost. If Tennessee can muster the same energy and excitement that they brought into the first half at the Swamp, they can beat Missouri. This is an ugly game. For some reason, I don't understand this, but the Tennessee and Missouri people absolutely hate each other. I, I, I'm, I'm not sure if it's a Branson-Missouri Pigeon Forge thing, but there is a lot of animosity between those teams. It's a really curious it's a really curious rivalry because they're not border states. There's no real tradition, but I can just tell you from having covered that, that there is some, some animosity and a rivalry uh, between those schools. Could be an interesting game. I don't think it's that important of a game. And can you believe this? Can you believe this, Jay Shipes? Vanderbilt is favored this week. I'm not, I'm not kidding you. This is not an April Fool's joke. Not only is Vanderbilt favored, but they're favored by two touchdowns. I said, how in the world could Vanderbilt be favored by two touchdowns? I wouldn't even pick Vanderbilt by two touchdowns over themselves. But they're playing UConn, or as my ESPN friend uh, Ryan McGee likes to call them, you can't. <laughs> I mean, how bad is UConn football? They're a two-touchdown underdog to Vanderbilt. And I think I actually like Vanderbilt to beat UConn by two touchdowns, if that tells you anything. So it's going to be a lot of excitement and a lot of fun. I think it's going to be a telling week in the SEC this week. I'll certainly have my eyes peeled on a lot of those games. South Carolina plays host to Troy, another game I didn't mention. They're only a seven-point favorite. That line scares me a little bit, tells me maybe those Sharpies might think that Troy pulls the upset. Remember, South Carolina now back-to-back -back losses in physical games. Georgia, Kentucky in successive weeks. Those are two physical games. The Shane Beamer's team have the buy-in left because Troy's going in there to knock off an SEC team. When you play Troy State, you better believe they're coming after you, and we've seen Troy State do it before. So that's an upset watch to kind of keep your eye on. I know I'm going to be looking at all this. It's a lot of fun. Uh, it's going to be exciting between the hedges. It's Sanford Stadium. Again, I love, love, love these games on campus. This is where it belongs. Do you realize how many recruits are going to be at this game? And the value of them not only being at this game, but they're going to get to take in the whole campus. They're going to get to see downtown Athens. They're going to get to understand what makes Georgia such a special place. It's not just going to the game. That's the people, oh, they go to Jacksonville, sit in the stand. That's not what gets them. It's when they get to walk around the campus and they get to see the buildings where they'll attend classes and they get to meet professors and they get to spend time with the players and go out on the town on Saturday night and see what downtown Athens and the classic city is all about. And think about the commerce and all the money that's getting pumped into that Athens economy, right, to help out that infrastructure and make the Athens community and athens Clark County even better. You're not giving away 20 million to somebody else. You're keeping it in your own town and that's how you build your community. Sanford Stadium now is one of the top five venues in the country. When you look at what they've done with the West End Zone, you look at that beautiful walk, look, looking in the stadium, the seating, I mean, it is just gorgeous. 
why would anybody want to play any games anywhere but on that campus when it's the best in the SEC? It's one of the best game days in the SEC, not even close. The recruiting is unbelievable. So you're going to get to see uh, you're going to get to see that on display in this game. Kirby's already talked about the recruiting implications. Uh, you're going to get to see Athens put their best foot forward. Everybody is going to love this game day environment on the campus of the University of Georgia. And I see the fans already celebrating it. They're talking about it. They love it. Uh, there's no place like Georgia for Bulldog fans right now. Look, you've had four straight top 10 seasons. You may have your best team yet. And I know that the rest of the country, outside the state of Georgia, I know they're all going to be rooting for Arkansas. They're all going to be yelling Suey. They're all going to be wanting to see the Hogs get a win, just like they did last week. Everybody was rooting against Texas A&M. Everybody wanted to see Cinderella, Arkansas win that game, and they did. Let me tell you, the glass slipper will be shattered in the first quarter. When the Arkansas Hogs realize that for all of their wants and desires, they're going up against a force. And this Georgia football team has been focused. JT Daniels would be dialed in for a 7 a.m. kick, much less a noon kick. The days of Georgia sleepwalking because it's a noon kick are gone. Missouri found that out last year when Eli Drinkwood said they wanted a measuring stick game. Georgia pulverized them, right? We saw it again in this early kick against Vanderbilt. Kirby challenged him. It was 11 a.m. local time. Georgia was loaded for bear. They're going to be so ready for Arkansas, folks. I can't wait to see that game again. I'll let you all go. I want you to enjoy the week tomorrow night. Connor Riley has Connor in coverage. Wednesday night, Jeff Centel, you'll get a chance to see Jeff as he talks about recruiting and some trips that he's been on. Thursday night, we do our cover four show where we like to mix it up. I try to get a word in edgewise now and then. I'm just in one of those little boxes. I have to wait my turn to talk. I'll do my best to get my points across. Tomorrow, or excuse me, Wednesday at 1015, uh, I'll be on with Brandon Adams on the Dog Nation Daily Show. And you can watch Brandon every day at 10 o'clock on Dog Nation Daily. And, of course, Brandon always has so much to say. Uh, never at loss for words. So you get your Georgia football fix here with Dog Nation. Follow me on Twitter. Do me that favor. I'm starting to get those Florida fans jumping me again on Twitter. I need the Georgia Army out in force. I need the Dog Nation behind me. I'm at Mike Griffith 32, at Mike Griffith 32. I go on that Fine Bomb show on Thursdays at 5.15 on the SEC Network, and I really speak my mind. I'm not going to stop, okay? Just because someone doesn't like what I say, I, I can't help my opinion. I try to back it up with facts and perspective, and I know a lot of Florida fans are upset about that, but the reality of it is, I'm not ready to call Dan Mullen an elite coach. Now, maybe he'll prove me wrong, and that win over Tennessee in the second half was impressive, but it wasn't that impressive. In my opinion, again, I may eat crow, but I just don't see Mullen passing Kirby in the East this year. Some final parting thoughts there. Again, give me a follow on Twitter, at MikeGriffith32. Everyone, have a safe and wonderful Monday night. I will have tons of coverage for you tomorrow on Dog Nation. We'll see you later.